Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. One of the greatest privileges of doing this weekly podcast, and this actually is the first one I've made for a few weeks, but is the people I get to sit with and talk to. And I am, I feel so incredibly honored and privileged to be here with Professor Daniel Matt, Danny Matt, who is known really throughout the world for his incredible work translating the whole of the Zohar, which is the main work of Kabbalah, the Pritzker English edition of the Zohar, an 18-year project which was finished just in the last few years. And Danny has also written many uh, books about Zohar and about Kabbalah and has been uh, an important teacher for many people, including me. And I'm just delighted to to be here in Boulder in the presence of Danny Matt, and who kind of glows. I feel like you glow <laughs> with the, the light of the Zohar. And so I'd love to just hear a little bit like how you, how you first got drawn in to, to Kabbalah because mm. your Jewish studies was your, your thing and at some point you must have particularly come into Kabbalah as... yeah well first it's good to be here with you Rabbi thank you um, my father was a rabbi and I grew up uh, studying Torah and learning Hebrew and shared a lot uh, with him and obviously learned a lot from him he never really talked about mysticism uh, certainly not about Kabbalah or Zohar that I remember, but I do remember a very intense spirituality in him. He really had a personal relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu, with the Holy One, blessed be He. And I remember seeing him leading davening and being inspired by, by his own inspirational style. And I think that led me to look for the spiritual elements mm. within Judaism. And then in my undergraduate years, I got attracted to the writings of Martin Buber and started studying Hasidic stories, Hasidic tales, and then some Hasidic teachings, Hasidic texts. And the Hasidic texts would often quote the Zohar, Mm. just a phrase, a word, a line or two, but always something very potent and very intriguing. And that made me curious as to what this immense book was. And my junior year abroad in Jerusalem, I began to study the Zohar at the Hebrew University. I remember I took beginning Zohar and and advanced Zohar at the the same same time. time. (laughs) So I knew I had one year. I said, let me try it. And I was totally lost in advanced Zohar. But that didn't matter because I was also lost in beginning Zohar. So that was my real first uh, immersion in it. And I returned uh, to Brandeis where I was studying and completed my BA and then went on for a graduate degree at Brandeis and by then I was really uh, really turned on to Zohar really wanted to focus on that and I studied it and got my PhD in Jewish studies but focusing really on on the Zohar and then uh, I taught it for a good number of years at uh, the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley taught Jewish studies but specifically Kabbalah Mm. And in the mid-90s, I was approached by the Pritzker family in Chicago. And a woman in that family, Margot Pritzker, had fallen in love with the Zohar and was studying it with a rabbi in Chicago using an older English translation, what's called the Sonsino translation. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. It's a somewhat inadequate translation. It's really more a paraphrase than a translation. It skips the uh, difficult passages. 
and the erotic passages, which is a good percentage <laughs> of the Zohar. So the rabbi and she, Margot Pritzker, and the rabbi she was studying with decided, uh, one of them said to the other, why don't we do a new translation? So it's beautiful. The whole idea came out of their own Torah study. And they approached me, and it took me a long time to agree to do it, but I finally realized it was just too amazing an adventure to turn down. And I took the project on and began in the late 1990s and completed it uh, about three years ago in, in 2015. 2016, the final volume came out. And uh, it's been an amazing adventure. I bet it has. And I, mean, I think, Danny, when... Um you know, I've, I've studied a bit of Kabbalah, but I feel like I'm, I'm, I don't have the depth of it. But when I think, I'd love to just hear from you. I mean, I think mysticism, because a lot of people are drawn to mysticism in a general sense. So perhaps a few uh, insights into what mysticism in a general sense is. And then mm -hmm. specifically, like what Kabbalah, how Kabbalah approaches mysticism. And, and, and some of your, I mean, you said it's been a rich and, and wonderful journey. So perhaps share some highlights from the journey that of your own discovery when you were working on mm -hmm. that, that project with the Zohar. Yeah. And it's amazing it was 18 years, because 18 is, is high, of course, <laughs> so the project was... Yeah, I, did, I didn't life. plan it that way, but it's nice, <laughs> nice that it turned out. Uh, I would say, you know, mysticism is it's hard to define, and the mystics really enjoy the fact that you can't define it, because mysticism is really about the, the undefinable. I would say that the mystic is yearning for direct experience of God. In other words, the mystic isn't satisfied with simply carrying out the normal demands of religion, even fulfilling the divine will, uh, fulfilling the requirements of the tradition. The mystic wants some direct experience with this ultimate reality, whether we imagine that it's something beyond or something within. I think one way to think of it is, is the beyond within. Is it possible to contact something infinite and yet that, that appears within our own soul, within our heart? So the mystic is yearning for that direct experience. There's a verse in the book of Psalms that gives a nice hint at this. In Psalm 34, you have the line in Hebrew, Ta'amu uru'u kitov Adonai. Taste and see that God is good. And it's unclear what that means. Taste what? <laughs> the psalm doesn't say, taste what? It says, taste and see that God is good. And the mystic would say that means taste God. Taste the divine reality, and you'll realize there's something earth-shattering. There's something transformative in that encounter. So if that's what mysticism is, then what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah is mysticism through Jewish practice, through Jewish belief, through Jewish texts. Much of Kabbalah is trying to penetrate the outer layer of the Bible and find something more intensely spiritual, sometimes turning the verse on its head. For example, the opening words of the Torah, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning God created. But the word order in the Hebrew is actually Bereshit in the beginning, bara created, Elohim, God. And the Zohar says it doesn't mean in the beginning God created, it means, in the beginning, it created God. Now that sounds shocking, that sounds heretical. It sounds shocking or heretical, but the Zohar is really saying there's a God beyond God. 
our normal conception of God is really rather puny compared to the ultimate reality of God, and that ultimate reality is called simply Ein Sof, the infinite. So for the Zohar, the, the opening words of the Torah mean in the beginning, or really with beginning, with the primordial point of divine wisdom, the infinite, the unnameable, created what we think of as God. It's really a critique of normal theology. What we think of as God is not the ultimate reality, it's our projection. You know, Mark Twain has a wonderful line uh, that he says, God created man in, in his image, and we have returned the compliment. <laughs> so, so much of theology is our projection, is putting our own categories onto this infinite background. And the Zohar is really saying that right there at the beginning of, of its commentary on the Torah. Another beautiful example of, of what the Zohar says, one of the great things that surprised me as I was reading it, the account of the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. So Genesis chapter 3 says, he expelled Adam. God expelled Adam. But the Hebrew is vayigaresh et ha'adam. Vayigaresh, he expelled et. Et is a word that means nothing. Ha'adam, the human, or Adam. But that little word et in Hebrew, it's a marker for the direct object. It doesn't have any independent meaning, but it's spelled Aleph Taf. The first letter of the alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet, you could say it encompasses all of divine speech, and yet it doesn't have a specific meaning. In the Zohar, that becomes a code name for the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah is called Et, and the Zohar reads this verse very differently, not he drove out Adam, but he drove out Et. He, he drove out Shekhinah. Who drove out Shekhinah? Then you read the following word, Adam. <laughs> Adam threw God out of the garden. So the Zohar really asks, who threw whom out of the garden? Did God throw Adam out or not? And that not turns into being, turns into the radical alternative that we have lost touch with the divine. In a sense, in a sense we're still in the garden. You know, in Boulder, in, in the beautiful surroundings of the mountains, you get a, a sense of that. In a sense, we're in in an Edenic and a paradisical environment, but we don't realize it because we've lost touch with the spiritual dimension. So in that sense, we've excluded God from our lives, and that's why we may feel alienated or abandoned. And the Zohar is really mapping out a strategy for how to, how to reacquaint ourselves with the Divine Presence. So do you feel, I mean, that's such a beautiful re- framing of theology and I think many people um, certainly the people that I speak to and am in contact with so many people really struggle with faith with belief and, and, and very compelling forces in the world towards a sort of secular humanism you know we read books like mm. Harari's book and we you know and, and a lot of people intellectual mm. people smart people um you know, very drawn into a worldview that says we can be a good person without having any notion mm. of God or any notion of faith. Right. So, do you think? Do you think? You think Kabbalah and mysticism kind of helps people with that? Because is it, 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 I mean, is the faith that people have rejected the old theology that doesn't work? Is that the point? I think so. I think Kabbalah really offers an alternative to the normal conception of God seated on a throne 
some old man with white hair who controls things. And Cordovero, for example, Moses Cordovero, a great Kabbalist who lived in Sfat and Safed in the 16th century, he says that an impoverished person, meaning mentally, spiritually impoverished, an impoverished person has that image of God seated on a throne, an old man with white hair who runs the universe. And he rejects that notion and says, instead, you should really begin not asking who is God, but who am I? Begin with something more immediate, more psychological. And when you come down to it, I'm pretty tiny. I'm tiny in this vast universe. He describes concentric spheres of reality expanding and expanding. So why is that necessarily an uplifting alternative? Because for Cordovero and for Kabbalah and for me, God is really infinity. Now if infinity, infinity really is not something out there. If, if infinity is infinite, it includes us. So in a sense, according to Kabbalah, we are part of this great wholeness. We are part of the divine. It's not that we live in this emptiness, we live in a fullness. But you know, on the other hand, there's something positive about, there's something positive about, about challenging the reality of God. Mm-hmm. Rav Cook, Abraham Isaac Cook, who is really a 20th century Kabbalist, he, he speaks about the positive value of atheism. He says, why is atheism valuable? Because it clears away the false conceptions of God. Mm. And then maybe you're left with something more, more real. You know, Zalman, Zalman used to say, Rabbi Zalman used to say when sometimes people would come to him and, and say, you know, I, I don't believe in all this God stuff. I'm an atheist and I reject that. And Zalman said, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. Right. I heard him say that many times, usually in the name of Reb Levi Yitzhak of Bedichev. Anyway, but... Uh-huh. Good. What about, just, um, and, and we, you know, I'm grateful for your time and we won't speak for much longer. This is really like a, 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 a little taste. And actually, if Great. people want a bigger taste, um, Danny is doing an online course in Kabbalah. Do you want to just say something about that? And then I have, yeah. but I'm not going to let you off. Yeah, I just have one more question sure. I want to ask you. But just to take a pause and tell us about how people yes. can connect to that. Yeah, I began recently doing an online course in Zohar. It's an ongoing course. Uh, we did one series of six sessions, January and February, and we're just beginning a second one. People are welcome to join at any time, and there's no requirement of prior knowledge. Uh, in the group, there are rabbis, and there are people who know little or no Hebrew at all. The easiest way to find out about the course is simply to Google Zohar Stanford course because Stanford University Press published my translation of the Zohar. If you Google Zohar Stanford, S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D, Zohar Stanford course or Zohar Stanford class, you will, you will uh, find the link. Great. Thank you for that. And so I, I, as we draw things to a close, I, 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 I would love to hear if you have any reflections on how your journey and your experience and your study of Kabbalah has has changed Jewish practice for you because I think that's also mm-hmm. you know there's a, a big part of this is study and reflection but how's it mm-hmm. how's it how's a study of Kabbalah and Zohar inform ritual and practice mm-hmm. yeah I would say it's you know it's deepened my appreciation of of Torah and of of Shabbat uh, in the Kabbalah Shabbat is really a celebration of the divine wedding, of uniting the masculine and feminine halves of God. I'm sure 
all of you, many of you are familiar with that beautiful prayer, Lachadodi. And Lachadodi says, you know, come, my friend, to greet the bride, the Sabbath as the bride. But many people don't realize that is actually a Kabbalistic hymn. So Shabbat turned into a mystical celebration. It's not just to cease from work, it's to celebrate the reality of God. In a sense, one of the most radical teachings in Kabbalah is that God needs us. God is incomplete without our active participation. And Shabbat is a way not only for us to celebrate, but to, to celebrate the divine joy, to participate in that joy. Another thing that Kabbalah has done for me is to encourage me to, to slow down and to focus on single images or single lines of the, of the Siddur. You know, there's so many beautiful lines in the prayer book, but we often rush through them in order to complete everything that should be recited. And if you pause, you know, for a line in Psalms, you know, such as, uh, in your light, we see light. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a crime to read that quickly and immediately move on to the next verse, to sit with it, to meditate with it, to bring meditation back into, into Jewish practice, I think is, is something I've learned. I'd quote in closing one beautiful line from the book of Psalms uh, that's not in the prayer book, but it certainly should be reintroduced. Uh, from Psalm 65, Lecha Dumia Tihila. To you, silence is praise. It's not clear exactly what that means in the original, but it seems to mean silence is the most appropriate form of prayer, which means through meditation, one can actually fulfill the, the obligation and, and the joy of reaching out to the divine. Words are in some way ultimately inadequate, but the words of the prayer book can frame a very pregnant, potent silence. So to make room for that silence, at least for select moments, is really a beautiful challenge and, and opportunity. That's a beautiful place to end. I will say it was lovely hearing you talk about the, the mystical dimensions of Shabbat, because as we are recording this, we are a couple of hours away from Shabbat. So mm. I'm very excited to spend this Shabbat with you and I wish you a Shabbat Shalom and thank you so much for the gift of your presence here in Boulder and for, for this time to have this conversation today. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.